what if your boss was just plain wrong? How would you go about convincing them? It seems like in many conversations, the very fabric of reality is often up for debate. And it seems like many people don't have a coherent way to evaluate claims of truth and evidence. And that makes making good decisions really challenging. But wait, you might say, this is really high level and theoretical. What about my day to day? I just deal with what's in front of me. That's what I do. Every morning I put on my pants, I deal with what's in front of me. Well, okay, let's talk about something that is in front of many of our listeners every day. And that is leadership and effectiveness in teams and organizations. A lot of what everyone knows about these topics is based only on their own thoughts, observations, and maybe some bad pop psychology book that they picked up at the airport. This reality has created a sort of collective coma. And what's worse, they may not even know that change is needed. In my experience, much of what I hear people saying about leadership is flat out wrong. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Chris, for sure. And today on the Indigo Podcast, we're going to talk about how learning about leadership and organizations and teams only through unthoughtful observation just doesn't work. And we're going to talk about how we might think about our leadership, for example, as a product that we need to iterate upon based upon evidence-based practice. And we'll talk, of course, about some implications for leaders, individuals, and organizations. So, Let's start off, you know, with the first piece here, which is about how learning about leadership through unthoughtful observation doesn't really work. And you were pretty fired up about this the other day when we were starting to prepare for this episode. So why don't you take us into this first piece? Well, I see this every day. And this is kind of what the whole point of our podcast and our consulting, this is a large chunk of it, is that we're just stuck in this leadership quagmire bog whatever tar roach hotel trap of monkey see monkey do how my leadership is based off of okay i've worked for some people and had bosses this one was horrible i don't want to be anything like that guy this one was pretty good i want to be like that guy but i couldn't pull off a few things that are personality driven so i'm going to tweak those and then ta-da leadership they may have read a pop article on the web that confirms their biases. And, you know, I had drill weekend in the army this last weekend. And we have this thing called ODP, which is like the officer development program. And I've seen that go two ways. One, well, hey, Lieutenant, let me give you some ODP. That means I'm going to disguise this as a development opportunity, but I'm really just going to chew on you for a screw up. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the other one is people who actually try stuff. And one of these guys pulled out a Forbes article that was horrible. Mm -hmm. And then another guy got up and said, you know, how I feel about it is this. And, and this is, we don't need feelings. We need evidence-based reality. And so yeah, I'd like to go, go back to something you mentioned right off the, right at the start here, which was about what you referred to as this monkey see, monkey do style of learning yeah. about leadership. And you said, you know, that a lot of people go through 
their careers, through their lives, looking at what's going on around them and saying, hey, here's some things that maybe I've noticed that I don't want to do. Here's some bad examples. Here's some good examples. What on earth is wrong with that approach? Well, first of all, like, no, I think like, there actually there is some good there, right? Yeah. The, so it is you have to be aware of what's around you. You should not not be aware. Right. And I don't think people are so stupid as to say, I read a book on boxing and now all these like carnal flight or fight or flight things are going to just fly out the window when I get in the realm ring with Mike Tyson. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you keep your eyes open. But so much of the advancement of humankind was realizing our perceptions were wrong. And, and this is where we want to iterate our leadership product. We need to improve our product. And so we've gone as far as we can with the monkey see, monkey do approach. We've gone as far as we can just guessing at leadership or pop business books or what you've seen out in the workplace. Sure. And so how, how, how do leaders develop then? Well, yeah, if you want that competitive advantage, if you want to push forward, you're going to have to go to some places that maybe aren't glitzy. They're a little bit longer than a tweet, and they're informed by experts who are actually researching what we think we know and finding out if that's true or not. Yeah, so I suppose I'm trying to reconcile that with the fact that we do know that leaders, to the extent that they develop at all, do develop through experience, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got to have the lab of life. So that 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 is where that is where leadership is developed and where people learn how to lead. So I, I don't think we can completely throw out the entire idea of learning from the people around us. Right. We're not only going to learn through and here I am, the social scientist saying we're not only going to learn through sitting around reading journal articles that are written by researchers. No, you get, come on, Ben. You busted my chops here. Listen, <laughs> but you're right. It's not leadership if you're not actually out there leading people. Sure. Like, I know everything about leadership, and I'm leading my army of army men in the closet by myself with no, that doesn't work. Right. But you've got, it is a nexus of, of like knowing some stuff beyond your heuristic, but mm -hmm. beyond your monkey see, monkey do. And executing that in the lab, right? Of life, and and you know, I think a bigger point here, perhaps, is that many times we can find ourselves going through our careers and through our lives, and maybe at some point we think, you know, I pretty much have this figured out, and maybe you kind of do. However, what's problematic is that sometimes we get very busy. We have so many tasks we're trying to accomplish that we leave little to no time for personal and professional development. We don't take time to reflect upon what we may have learned and may have not may still need to grow uh, in terms of our own capabilities based upon what's going on around us. And when we do that, then we just start relying on kind of how we've always acted and maybe see, seeing what people, other people are doing. Uh, and the problem here is that this can lead to derailment, right? We may end up in a situation where we're, we have some responsibility and authority that's given to us and uh, we fail because we're relying upon what worked in the past. And what's what's problematic is that what got you to a, your current position, your current ability level, your current skills, uh, you know, your current success is not necessarily the same set of skills and behaviors that's going to 
be effective in the next level of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And and there's a couple other things I want to add here. The idea of professional organizations, this could be healthcare, for instance, Mm -hmm. you know, in a healthcare environment, if anybody's ever worked there, we kind of know what the the secretary does, the admin person, the insurance person, the different types of nurses, the physician's assistants, the doctor, everybody knows what those roles do. It's the same thing in the army. You know what Mm -hmm. a squad member does, what a squad leader, what a... platoon leader, what a platoon sergeant does first. And it, and so, you know, if somebody, the positive thing about this, if somebody say dies in a conflict, you can just take another one of those people and plug them in and you're right back in the fight. There's not role confusion. Everyone knows what to do. And that's really resilient in a healthcare organization. Oh, new doctor, doctor, here's your roster of patients. Start seeing them. Mm Mm-hmm. But what that does, so that's that's positive in one effect, but there's nothing that's perfect. It's positive in that you can plug in, everybody knows what to do, but it's negative in that there's not necessarily a whole lot of leadership required at the lay level, right? I mean, not that there's nothing, but there's less of it required. And I see that in the Army all the time. Listen, Lieutenant, here's your job. This is what you do. Now, when you pushed out into the field and you're further away from the flagpole and that kind of stuff, yeah, you had some on-the-ground kind of leadership stuff you had to do. But back in garrison, everything is just check the box, check the box. And I see a lot of people saying, look at me, I had a command position. Like, dude, you didn't command anything. <laughs> you, you just fulfilled inspection checklists, recruitment checklists. You just check the box and you stroked your ego. Well, and, and I would say that sometimes checking the box is what's required. Like sometimes, yeah, sometimes totally good. like, so sometimes the status quo is, is what the organization needs. I think the distinction is let's not confuse that with being with leadership, a leader. right? Yeah. Le- leadership by definition means going into a situation that is somewhat uncharted. You, you are creating a new reality in a sense by doing something that hasn't been done. And this is, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it, it requires a level of, uh, dare I say, social deviance, doing something different than the norm, being that that fish that's swimming upstream, that is leadership in a lot of ways, right? And so let's just not confuse the two. Now, some situations, I would say many situations, do require leadership. And that's right. oftentimes we get in the, we lull ourselves into uh, thinking that we are, you know, doing leadership when in fact we're just managing. Sometimes that that's totally fine. We need both. Management's I, I, not a bad word. It's not it's at not all. Not. And, and that's where I get I, I get a little bit perturbed when I see, you know, the the memes on LinkedIn or wherever else where it says, Don't be a manager, be a leader, or something like that. And it's like, well, I don't know. It depends on the situation. And probably in most situations, we do need someone who is doing those management functions of planning, organizing, directing, and controlling the work. I think we probably do. Otherwise, it's just a disorganized mess with uh, some big ideas. So, um, okay, let, let's let's let me say one more thing, Ben. One more okay. thing. So, so it's good to have good governance and management. It's awesome. But our orgs are full of rewards for good task ownership. Mm-hmm. He does ten out of ten tasks on time into standard. Awesome. That's within any org. And then on and then people build up this narcissistic vision of themselves of 
I'm special, look what I can do. And then a lot of the maneuvering within these types of organizations is political skill, schmoozing, you know, hiney kissing, all that kind of stuff is how people move up in the org. And it's not until you get to the very, very, very top where you might see some leadership. But we see people that this kind of management, task completion, political skill, backstabbing craziness, well, some of them kick out at the top into the C-suite. And now they have command of a legitimate command and leadership ask of them, and their whole career hasn't prepared them for it. Mm -hmm. And so so what do do I do now? And I'm like, well, guess what? You're in uncharted waters, buddy. Time to pull out those leadership skills. And they pull out a 12-pack of Crayola. Maybe it's (laughs) maybe a six-pack. And it's like, dude, you need the 48-pack with the sharpener on the back. You know know this four-pack that you got at Denny's to color on the menu isn't going to get you there. Mm -hmm. Now, I would also suggest that political skill isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. No, you're going to need so, that too. Political skill involves an awareness of what's going on in the organization, who has power and who does not, how things actually get done. And that is important, I think. And, and having that awareness at, at really at, at many different levels of management and leadership is, is an important skill to have. Sometimes I run into people who say, I just want to do my job. I, you know, I'll, I'll put my head down. I don't like to get into the mix of things like that. And it's like, well, all right, well, do so at your own risk because- There's going to be maneuvering that happens that you maybe aren't aware of because you've ignored it, right? Whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. I don't think we can have an organization that is completely um, free of those types of of dynamics. And organizational politics, right? We can minimize that by having clear rules about decisions, by, you know, um, trying to manage things well in times of transition and so forth. But, um, okay, let's let's hone back in a little bit here. We were talking about how this idea of uh, unthoughtful observation, just doing what what seems to work, uh, which you refer to as the monkey see, monkey do approach to how we do things in organizations, it, it has its has severe limitations to yeah, if your you own wanna, progress. If you want to win in the workplace, win out in the world against your, you know, relish in the lamentations of your enemies, right? If you want a Conan <laughs> barbarian, other organizations that win out there, you want to take your leadership product from this heuristic, which there's nothing wrong. You know, monkey see, monkey do so much of how we learn on the job and stuff. You want to take it to the next level. You've got to have evidence-based practice here. You have to at least know, and if you reject it, have a reason. Here's some places that might help you onboarding new talent and proving the likelihood that the people you hire are going to work out. I see people all the time. Oh, I just, I hire perfect every time. You've not hired enough people. You, <laughs> you know, get back to me when you hire 200 people in a year, and then we'll see how you're doing a year later on retention and stuff. Um, employee performance reviews. How do you talk to people about how they're doing and where they need to go next without crushing their soul, keeping there and actually edifying and building them up. And yet we see all the time talking to HR, uh, this manager is scared to tell his team how they're really doing. Hmm. Why? What? Well, this is what monkey see, monkey do leadership, or they're a giant jerk and like, listen, Stan, you stink in the following ways. Have a nice day. No raise for you. Well, that's not how you do it either. 
Mm-hmm. What about salary? Are you paying your people too much? Are you paying them too little? How should you determine what pay looks like and how does that affect your competitive environment? And saying, HR will just figure that out. Well, that's being asleep at the wheel. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are cases where, I mean, this is bread and butter business kind of stuff or kind of stuff that's getting screwed up all over the place. Sure. I would agree with you there that this is, uh, you know, that approach is very common and uh, it's something that can be done a lot better. Now, what I like about how you position this next piece that we can move into is how you can think about your leadership skills, uh, really your skills in a lot of different ways, but we'll focus maybe here on on being a leader. You can think about that as a product itself, right? And thinking about that as something that can be and should be continually, systematically improved. Uh, You shouldn't get into a comfortable situation of thinking, hey, you know, I know everything. I don't need to learn anymore because that's a dead end. That that certainly will set you up for a potential, uh, ca- even catastrophic failure um, at some level. And so iterating what you do and your learning is an important way to develop and grow at any level. And it, not to mention, if you get into the habit of doing this, it could be it could be liberating and fun. It's so wicked fun. Listen, guys, you don't want the Nokia brick phone of leadership. You want it, whatever the latest iPhone is. And I'm a Pixel person. I've got the Pixel Pro 6 or whatever. By the way, you need you need to upgrade your phone. It, 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 so it, there's been, this, real, there's been <laughs> this really, really funny error that's been happening with, with Chris's phone where he'll send something and then like it'll send the same thing, a text message, and it'll send the same thing over and over again. We're just uncontrollably he's not doing it like it's just happening the, the um, first the time ne- was with a podcast guest and ben yeah. sends me a message or calls me i forget he's like <laughs> what are you doing our podcast guest is gonna think we're crazy right which we which we are one <laughs> well, let's clarify <laughs> and, and two i'm like what are you talking about and then he sends me screenshots i'm like i'm so embarrassed i right. did, look look at so, my phone it's not so doing be it. like what? yeah it was like the la- the laughing face with the tears like one after another, after another, after another, after another. And then you, it happened again. So anyway, long story short, you do need to iterate and perhaps uh, land in the, the world of, of iPhone. iPhone bust- stink bu- too. I'm busting They stink the same. Sure. But here's the thing, guys. You don't want to have to press the one button three times to get a C in your text messages like you used to in the text, oh in the brick phone. Remember that? You have to press it three times. That would blow the minds of most younger people today. It'd probably slow them down so they don't tweet stupid stuff. But (laughs) that that might be a help. But the thing is, don't be a brick phone of leadership. Be a smartphone. You got to where you can keep updating the software that you're running. And And the thing, the first thing you want to update, I'd say, is you need to have a mental operating system Mm -hmm. for evaluating truth claims. Because vendors are going to come try to sell you stuff every day. Look, try our secret onboarding system yeah. for, you know, $3,000 a sure. month. It'll, well, and I, I think yeah. even, be- even before you need a different mental operating system, I think you need to recognize that it's important to continue to iterate and learn in terms of leadership. You know, I, I think about it myself. I'm, I'm curious to know, are there any things perhaps that you have learned about leadership over the past couple decades, maybe some some things that you thought early on that turned out to, you know, maybe not be as true as you thought they were or anything that you've, uh, how you've developed in your thinking? 
Um, to just yeah. totally put you on the spot. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, you know, I learned a lot about leadership first and scouts as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I'd watch how the adults would do it. You know, they're a little bit more organized, but they, we had a bunch of military guys, you know, Vietnam vets and stuff that were our scout masters. And I'd say, all right, we're planning a weekend camping trip and we're going to kayak. What are we eating? And then we'd have to go back into our little patrols and like decide. But I remember like trying to influence people like, dude, I hate salads. Let's not eat salads. Let's have spaghetti instead. Or, you know, mm-hmm. and watching, you know, because we have a patrol leader that would try to get order. I remember learning about Robert's rules of orders for running a meeting when I was in the order of the arrow and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that was the base level. Then I got to like larger church youth groups and stuff. And watching how that got run, um, I remember working on staff at some churches and just kind of seeing. And people would tell you about, you know, having a charisma, standing up for what's right. But it wasn't until I got to grad school. This is grad school, Ben. You know, yeah, I was played professional music. I'd have band leaders and stuff do stuff. I'd see stuff out in the corporate org. The army, you know leadership is influencing the organization while accomplishing the mission. Like they have a doctrinal definition and I just kind of fell in on that stuff because that was the best tools I had. But when I started to be exposed to, you know, project management, organizational change, these different items, I was like, my God, I've Mm -hmm. known nothing about this topic for most of my life. Right. That was, that was embarrassing. That was embarrassing for me. Yeah, no, I think that's those are good good thoughts, and um, you know, when I think back to things that I thought perhaps early in my career as a, as a leader and have iterated upon, and I think developed quite a bit from, I used to think that being a leader meant being the person who simply works harder than everyone else. Now there is some value into in having a hard work ethic. Like I I totally get that. I think it is important. Being a role model for the rest of the people around you in that regard is important. It'll um, make your team look good, even though you're not doing any leadership. You're just picking up all the slack, <laughs> right? That, and well, that's there's, there's the problem, right? And so if you're just it, two things, one, if you're just working harder than everybody else, you're probably on the road to burning yourself out. Secondly, you're covering up potential weaknesses in your team, right? And, uh, you're also not actually leading because you're not getting work done through others. You're just doing it all yourself. And that's not being a leader. And so I think that was something that I learned um, as I went along. And, you know, just another simple example. I remember I was, this was probably when I was in college and I I was doing something uh, with the Navy. Uh, So I was a a Navy ROTC guy. And so I was, you know, we had various things we did in the summer for the Navy. and, and, uh, And I think it was during one of those that, we had some admiral who came and talked to us. He said, leaders are people who know stuff. And whatever uh, that see, means. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> it seems seems relatively reasonable. And in one, and to be fair, one source of power for a leader is expertise. Like knowing stuff is is important. But followers know stuff too. Sure. Absolutely. Followers know stuff. And you can never know everything. Uh, and, and I think being comfortable with ambiguity is actually something you got to be more uh, that that becomes increasingly important as you ascend to different levels of leadership and knowing what you know 
and knowing what you don't know and being totally comfortable with that can give you this liberating sense of humility. That's great. Right. And, and I don't want people to think that you have to be some like steeped in academia tool sack nerd to, no. to be a leader. That's there, not. So the thing is, is we have these heuristics, Ben, like what, what's a heuristic? It's a rule of thumb, right? This is the kind of, we live as humans in the realm of rules of thumb. And like they can e be very helpful. They, even, they help us function. Even when you look at the research on expertise and decision-making, then you'll see this in like surgeons. You'll see this in, they study chess masters and stuff. These are people that are experts at stuff. Their day-to-day -day isn't, uh, before I decide the next thing, let me look at 40 journal articles. Oh, two seconds later. Oh, another 40 journal articles. You can't get through the day that way. But if you understand the literature and the evidence-based stuff, you can take a look and say, which of my heuristics that I live my day-to-day -day by need to be updated? Because we're humans. And then when you start teaching your teams about leadership, you can give them some of those rules of thumb so they're better thinking. Um, last episode, we did one about myths that most HR professionals believe. Mm. And one of them's, you know, a bunch of them are about hiring people. And mm -hmm. a lot of people think about HR as like hiring and compliance. And if you have, you know, most of those like 80% of HR professionals were wrong on. Mm -hmm. But if you were to able to correct those things, because in any given function that you're leading or even org, there's only so many activities you do. Right. And if you just do an audit of the activities, one, okay, what do they do? Hiring. What else do we do? Paying people. What else do we do? Evaluating their performance and then letting them retiring or firing, right? Okay, that's four or five things right there. Let's just go make sure that what we're doing is good. And then you're able to bake that into your organization. And that becomes a rule of thumb for how people operate. And you've just changed. You've made monkey see, monkey do work for you. Mm -hmm. What happens is when monkey see, monkey do is not upgradable. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing that can be certainly, this is maybe obvious, but that can be fairly problematic with the monkey see, monkey do approach is if all the monkeys that you're seeing are doing things wrong, you're going to have a completely distorted view of what, what should be and what right looks like. And I think that I come across that um, maybe not, you know, maybe someone has it doesn't have a completely wrong idea, but some people have never been on a high performance team. I'd say a lot of people have not been on a high performance team. And they think that a high performance team is one in which everybody is, you know, just getting along and everybody just really enjoys each other's company. That's not really the case. Uh, now, they have very good communication. They have a high level of trust. They are also hard on each other in terms of being very candid in their communication. But 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 it works because they they deeply trust each other. They really um, you know know in the marrow of their bones that that person has their best interest in mind. And when they're giving them that that potentially uh, tough feedback, uh, and uh, and there's there you know in in high performance teams, people really hold each other to high standards. So you know those types of things. If you've never seen that and been a part of it, then you're probably not going to have the best idea of what a high performance team actually is. Yeah, some people have never worked for a good boss. Say a right. lot of people have not worked for a good boss. Right. And to where they have like borderline PTSD or PTSD-like mm. symptoms. I've seen this in some of the manufacturing places I've gone where they're the only job in town. 
you know, manager dudes like the CEO's kid. Mm. And it's a jerk and abusive. Oh, if you took that person out, and even if he was a mid-level manager and had just been, they might have a hard time sussing out, you know, how to talk to people. Sure. Even though they themselves have been negatively impacted. And and we call it what? The Shawshank Redemption effect, right? <laughs> They've been institutionalized. And these bad thinkings. And we another place we see this is um, that's dealt with a lot in therapy is family of origin. Mm. You know, if you don't come from the best family, if you come from a divorce family, you are at an increased risk for divorce. And, sure. and why? Because you may not have seen how families go together in a good way. You yeah. may not have a family operating system that gets you there. It's the same stuff in organizations, guys. That if you haven't come up right, and it's, it's to me, it's heartbreaking because we have we need leadership every day in our communities, in our scout troops, our town halls, our you know school boards. That life is writing a check for good leadership, and we've come up insufficient funds too often, and and we can do better and. Well, let's talk about how to get there. Right, right. Just get well, out of the muck. <laughs> get out of the muck. So one piece here is that we need to update our heuristics. We need to continually have more thoughtful, uh, reflective types of experiences. So I mentioned early on, I was kind of giving you a hard time saying, well, don't leaders develop through experience? And of course, they, I love it. They do. Now, one thing that's very important, and we actually get this from some of the research on what we call in academia service learning. So sometimes it's like, hey, let's let's take this class and let's go out and let's work with a nonprofit for a couple of weeks on a, on some sort of project or something like that, or work with a business on some sort of issue, and then we'll we'll learn something from it. And uh, what some of that research suggests and is has become a best practice is, yeah, you do the project, but you want to make sure people are learning the right lessons from those experiences, and you do that through reflection through discussion with people who do know uh, some of what some of the good lessons to be taken away are. Um, and uh, that's how we should approach, I think, a lot of what we experience in our careers and in our lives is being thoughtful and actually pausing to reflect in a thoughtful manner on what we've experienced, what we should take away from it, what we sh maybe shouldn't take away from it. And I think having a conversation with somebody about that is, you know, somebody who is reasonable and knows things and maybe has had some experiences beyond what you have experienced is helpful. And uh, maybe that's a mentor for you, uh, having that conversation, you know, um, I could see that being a, just a super fantastic conversation with a good mentor is, hey, you know, I just finished up this assignment. Here's some things that I think I'm learning from it. Let's talk this through. Um, that's one way to have more of a, an intentional way to learn from experience. The, the risk you run if you don't do that kind of stuff is you end up having the same experience over and over again. So I've got 20 years of experience. Yeah, I did the same thing 20, 20 years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's fantastic. Now, uh, the, you know, you may have the same level. Let's say you, you did a few different things over those 20 years or whatever, but then you take that and compare it with somebody who went through just a whole bunch of different situations truly dynamic types of crucibles of learning for five years. And you know what? You might know a heck of a lot less than that person who had five years of experience, quote unquote. Yeah, this is like the friend that you have that's in their late 40s and has had one disaster romantic relationship after another, <laughs> right? 
And and it, they've had it so many times that you're not a therapist, but you can see what's derailing them, <laughs> right? And like, I just don't get it. You know, I have 20 years relationship experience. <laughs> Matter of fact, I have more experience with breakups than you do, right? You know, or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, your f- failure to learn and life's going to keep handing you these scenarios and you're going to keep failing out, spinning out until you learn the lesson or you're able to surround yourself in a narcissistic coat of self-deception and say, well, I'm in charge and this is just a challenge of business onward and upwards. Well, if you don't have that reflective time, you lack all the things that people want to say that leaders have. And one of those is the ability to self-reflect and learn. Yeah. I was talking with a CEO of a startup, this was a number of years ago, who told me that, you know, what we're trying to do is really difficult. And we've had many people come and go on this team and, you know, we're going to get there and it might be on, you know, there's, there's just a pile of bodies, people who didn't cut it here. Uh, you know, and we just, it's hard to keep good people around. It's hard to keep people around. A lot of people can't handle this. Right. And yeah, maybe at some level, there's a lot of, it's difficult. You that's know, only that's everybody. only exciting for and that leader. That world's a, yeah. only exciting for that leader. Here's the thing. I, I was just thinking about it. It's like, you know, what's the common denominator here? It's that person, right? And the, with the, these blinders on and thinking that, oh, well, you know, it's just the, the situation. Uh, you know, pe- people aren't as good as get things as I am. They can't handle the pressure. Well, yeah, maybe. But um, I, I would also take a hard look at the mirror. Uh, if the common denominator in all of your failed relationships, in all of your issues at work, um, happens to be you, well, then maybe you need to update how you're operating and thinking, to be quite honest. It's highly unlikely that you're Galileo, the (laughs) only dude right in the world and everyone else wants to kill you. Okay. (laughs) Like if I'm a betting person, you get way better odds in Vegas than that. Unless you think that this is some kind of mid-market amateur hour business leadership challenge, I submit to you Jack Welch. Mm. And this guy was lauded in the business press. You know, people try to dress like him. Yeah, I think like, I don't know if it's Forbes or some of the, one of those organizations, one of those uh, publications named him manager of the century, you know, or uh, whatever uh, at the, around, you know, the turn of the century. Yeah. Go ahead. Which for which Forbes never has to be like, how many ma- manager of the century has been completely debunked? One more and you got to close <laughs> your publication down. That's not what they do. They're churn and burn and sensational headlines, right? Almost all of his management practices have been refuted and are garbage. Yet the monkey see monkey do approach with him has released scads of crap leaders out into the marketplace who don't update because who else? Oh, I was mentored under Jack Welsh, you know? Oh, and then you could just see him talking like, when I was with Jack Welsh, this is what we did. And we're going to do that here. And th- this is the highest level of orgs have stinking thinking when it comes to leadership. So so just check yourself. Have some humility and say, wait. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's you. right. <laughs> you should. <laughs> but so a lot of you guys have so much power and authority within orgs that this never may never be checked. And you just, mm-hmm. when you're sitting in your retirement home, reflecting on your life, do you want to have a narcissistic lie that you tell yourself? Mm. Or do you want to have a, look at all my growth and 
not only I taught people what I know about leadership now, but what I, the best thing I ever did for all my teams and leaders that worked under me was teach them to go on that leadership journey of growth themselves yeah. so that we can actually iterate and get somewhere and not be the same garbage we've been. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking ah! about, I'm thinking about this whole idea of learning from experience, learning from great leaders and so forth. And that, that has been an approach toward leadership study is and it's, it's been one that's evolved, right? But people were like, oh, let's just look at what really successful people did and let's do what they did. And uh, that's not- They wore hoodies. They wore hoodies. <laughs> Wear a hoodie. Right. Are you wearing a hoodie? That's right. <laughs> well, so I think there are two ways to think about it. One is uh, the, maybe the monkey see, monkey do approach saying they did X, Y, and Z. I shall do X, Y, and Z. That's an uninformed way of, uh, using a case study, an uninformed way of looking at a person who was successful in a certain time, place, and context. Uh, there's a more mature way to look at it. I think we can learn from cases. We can learn from great leaders. We just have to make sure we're taking the right lessons. And we have to make sure that we're not trying to somehow uh, squeeze what they were doing in a different time, place, and context into what we're trying to accomplish. You know, so I... I've been mulling on this idea. I haven't shared this one with you, but just like, like, so I'm in the Navy, right? I'm a senior officer in the Navy. I do a lot of stuff in the Navy. And um, I, I think about in the Navy, we have, and as in the uh, the Army and other services, we there's a lot of emphasis on like who the, the big heroes are, right? In our organizations, the people who did big things, people we hold up as examples. And I've been thinking about like, Okay, well, if I were to say like who my Navy heroes are, right? That's kind of a kind of an interesting thing, and and why? Um, and I'll, I'll maybe we'll save this for another podcast. But I, I think um, you know when I think about it, there are three that come to mind, right? There's Alfred Thayer Mahan, who was um, he was the president of the Naval War College at one time. He was very influential in his thinking about how sea power works. In terms of national security, he was a horrible ship driver. He didn't like being at sea, and he was a thinker. Right? I, I see that uh, there's some really admirable qualities there. Now, there's some things that probably weren't great, um, but but his attention towards intellectualism and scholarship and thinking big ideas is inspirational. Another one uh, is uh, Grace Hopper. So Grace Hopper is uh, largely known, even outside of the military, as um, the person who really founded kind of modern co or uh, computer programming. So she she started COBOL, the programming language, um, a computer scientist in the Navy, phenomenal person, um, and, and really did a lot of innovative stuff. And the thing that she did, which I think can apply, right, to other situations, is she wasn't afraid to use expertise and, and uh, her communication to speak truth to power and say, here's what we're doing and here's what we should be doing. Let's get there. And the last one is uh, Admiral Elmo Zumwalt, who was uh, the youngest chief of naval operations ever, um, and I think he retired as a four-star at like 49 years old, but he was, anyway, back in the 70s, the guy dealt with like race riots on ships, um, just insane personnel-related stuff that he dealt with in, Navy, in the Navy, and he was very bold in his approach towards change, and I think there are some lessons to learn there. All that to say that there are these Great examples out there. We have great examples. There are wonderful monkeys, so to speak, to get back to that metaphor. Um, we just have to make sure that we're taking the right lessons from them and not, not trying to say that everything that this person does applies to everything that I do now. And having, uh, having I think, that, that thoughtful approach is much different.
Yeah, and, and we start learning as infants in a monkey see, monkey do approach, right? We have mirror neurons that make us mirror people. You'll watch people start talking like other people, those kinds of things. But let me give you an example of something we've changed our mind about. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm. Physical spanking. We now have data around, you know what? Kind of beating kids is not the way to go. Not right. even like, what, what would you say? Ethically produced spanking? Like I got spanked at, at a kid as a kid. I was a rascal, right? At school. Yeah. At school. At school. Yeah. And, wow. Yeah. And and so like, like they had like standards around how to spank correctly that were sanctioned by the state. Huh. You know, you would bend over and like put your hands on your knees, right? And one teacher would like nod her head. And then there, this was the worst. There was an indiscriminate like an execution. <laughs> yeah, there was an indiscriminate amount of time. It wasn't like nod, two, three, smack. It was like oh, nod, just... and then you'd wait. You're like, is it coming now? What did okay. they smack you with? This is they, horrible. They had a they had a paddle. Oh my goodness! And like like just like you order new trash cans for the school from the, like the U line catalog or whatever. I bet you they ordered. A paddle from a. <laughs> there's, probably, there's probably some manufacturing company somewhere that either is non-existent now or like quietly pivoted away from. Oh yeah, we 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 got our start making paddles for corporal punishment in schools. Yeah, you know it's like this paddle <laughs> sanctioned by the ISPCC. It's like I spank kids daily, <laughs> weekly, right? This right? is so bad. I know, but this was. Uh, go back wild. to when we were kids spanking was somewhat of a norm like this is in our lifetimes and we're not that old like that, that this did, is did I mean, you get spanked uh <laughs> there were some attempts um <laughs> you are a fast so, runner huh <laughs> well kind of right so um yeah yeah a little bit i mean uh, it was yeah but and so you gosh. can see it anybody's been a parent's been out in a playground and watch other parents talk smack about other people's parenting which i think oh, is yeah. horrible because I wanted an instruction manual after the kid was born, and all I got was a placenta. Okay, yeah. there's no manual for parenting. Is very, 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 very difficult. For it's complex, who hard. Hey, guess what? Now you have a ADHD, a neurodivergent kid, or whatever the politically yeah. correct word is that, or you have a kid on the autism spectrum, and they're unlike anything you've seen. You mm. can't, you can't be like, you know what? The problem over there is they don't beat their kids often or hard enough. Like right. that is the wrong. We know different. That's right. So, and, so to get to what you know, bring us back to what we're talking about. Right, here. We're right, talking right. about iter iterating our knowledge, and uh, you know, you brought up, hey, we need to have a mental operating system for evaluating truth claims. I would suggest that there's an attitude and a posture that needs to come before that, which is uh, a decent level of humil humility. I already mentioned this earlier, you know, in our episode here today, but you you have to be cognizant of the fact that maybe you don't have it all figured out. And there's probably something else that you should know, some other things that you need to be aware of, so that then when you start thinking about, hey, because because if I am not if I if I'm totally arrogant and overconfident, then there's no need for me to evaluate truth claims. It's true because I said it or I think it, right? So I think going on to the next step, if you have that level of humility and realize that maybe you don't have everything about everything figured out, then yeah, we need to think about how we evaluate what is what is true and evaluating evidence. Not all evidence is created equal um, in order to try to figure out a better path forward. Yeah, don't be stuck as the parent that still beats their kids. Mm. You know, like that's eventually it moves along. And then let's say you're in your 50s, you still have a lot of work career, but your leadership stuff is so antiquated. Like maybe some of those premier organizations won't hire you. 
yeah. because they're actually getting latched onto this stuff. And and I would also caution people who may be thinking, oh, you know, I maybe I'm in my 50s and I need to update my leadership style because these young people are different. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not the case, right? Their brains are still operating the way that our brains worked. Um, you know, the good old days for most people, if you actually evaluate them, aren't weren't that great. It's a mythology. Right. right. It's the, a the, mythology. You know, he, here's another paper that I want to write someday. So I think nostalgia really gets in the in the way of organizational change, gets in the way of progress, right? And we love to think about we only remember the good things, or that's what we predominantly remember. Right. We remember in the Navy, for example, oh, yeah, back in the day when we crossed the equator, we used to beat the sailors and make them drink seawater. And and, uh, you know, they'd end up, you know, passed out or whatever. It, no, like that. That wasn't a good thing. Like we should have a we, we can have fun when we cross the equator. There's this big ceremony that they do. So I I happen to be a shellback. Right. I am no longer a polywog. I've got I've been through the ceremony. We Hold on, which which one do you start as, and then which one do you become? Yeah, you you're, start... you're, you're a polywog, <laughs> and and then you become a shellback when you cross the equator and go through the little ceremony or whatever. And um, nice. I mean, I I, nice. I I I did have to like sing, you know, silly songs and stuff, and I it, it, it's it, it was all in good fun. We did not, you know, it was not hazing, um, but it used to be. And but the the point here is that we just can't get so latched onto the past and and only remember the good stuff. So anyway. Um, you know, people's brain, I, I got out of that point by saying that, hey, upgrading your leadership isn't because people have changed. It's because what we know about leadership has perhaps evolved. And maybe you aren't doing things the way that, that really could have worked better your entire career. That, that's right. We're, we're discovering and learning. And that's why we look back at people back in the day and we say, gosh, Salem witch trials, such barbarism. Hmm. Right. But this was set up on, you know, they didn't have like an organizational dynamics class to talk about like, oh, OK, well, how do we evaluate truth claims? How do we know that Nancy isn't just mad at Bob and said, Bob's a witch? Mm. You know, like we we didn't have that. And we well, have these... there, but but isn't there something about witches float or they sink and. Yeah, Monty yes. Python. It's because it's made out of wood. It's a duck. You know, what, what, are, what are some other things that float? Very small rocks. <laughs> <laughs> this is, we don't, we laugh though, but we look back at how humans organized and the stuff we did. We did chase Galileo around the yeah. world trying to kill him. And we're the same people. It's been too short of an evolutionary time span for us to be fundamentally different between the ears. Yeah. And what's fascinating about that is that, you know, we, we, in, in the past 200 years, we our organizational systems have become incredibly more complex, right? Um, the largest organizations that we used to be parts of were governments and maybe some religious organizations and militaries. And you know, with the advent of the industrial revolution, the modern organization was born, and we have so much more complexity in terms of how we interact with each other and. Um, so there's a lot of catching up, I think that we're doing and a lot of kind of building this airplane while we're flying it, uh, when it comes to how we interact with each other. And so that, that in and of itself, I think is cause for us to be continually in a healthy way, skeptical about our own knowledge in these areas. Yeah. And look at how people are trying to solve the leadership problem now. Hey, we got to lead all these people. We've got to get say maybe minimum age workers to show up at Burger King. No, mm -hmm. no, we'll just automate it. That leadership stuff's too challenging. Hmm. Can, can we get a robot to do this? 
that, <laughs> right? And, and that's fine. Automation is helpful. I've sat on a lot of large automa software automation projects and that kind of stuff. Like I, I understand that. But there's always going to be stuff that requires leading the human element. And mm -hmm. I got to say, looking at a leader, if your first thing is like, can I just have a bunch of automatons that have been lobotomized to have an opinion? Like, that's actually not leadership. That's a, I call it echo the command leadership. I say mm. something, it's like all ahead full. And then like the next guy in the Navy ship says all ahead full. I mean, you guys have intercoms now, but the old movies, right? No, I mean, they still do that, like on the bridge of the ship. And I mean, you're, you're kind of next to the people, so you don't need an intercom. You do. That is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so right. echo the command leadership is that. It's a basis level of monkey see, monkey do. But there's yeah. going to be life that requires some more nuance. Awesome. There. So this has been really interesting and and uh, taken in a couple different directions. But let's bring it into some implications. Let's bring this home with some implications for leaders, people, and organizations. And I think the first one is you got to be careful with leadership products, uh, leadership training programs, uh, the ones that seem really simple, the ones that uh, kind of appeal to your sense of yeah, that's 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 what we should do. Um, you got to be thoughtful about that, right? There's some great leader development programs out there, uh, and there are also ones that are too good to be true. And I think I, I'm a, I'm worried that the too good to be true ones may outnumber the others. Yeah, the thing is, this leadership stuff is a landscape, and if anybody has a model, first of all, don't buy the model. You should be biased against this. Yeah, I'm hiring you to go tell these people what I've been trying to tell them all along. Well. <laughs> No, that's a, that's a bad idea. The second thing is like, let's take a model say, such as situational leadership that was started by these guys, Hershey and Blanchard, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then they had a fight and they split up and then they had to change their model so they could be separate. They had like a beautiful, elegant one way model, but since they, and they want to sell this stuff to organizations, they now have two suboptimal models that are copyrightable. And so if somebody has one approach, one piece, that's okay. Like maybe bringing in PMP training for your project managers could be okay. But PMP does nothing with like hiring and firing, mm -hmm. right? You're becoming a project management professional at that point. So there's no one ring to rule them all. So you need to look at a landscape of these vendors. Uh, these guys look good in the suit. They're going to sell you everything. This has a cup holder armrest. And it's just not true. Leadership required a lot of different scientists and a lot of researchers checking a bunch of different heuristics. So just, just beware for that. What's the next thing, Ben? So another one is being careful about what's popular. So there's this idea in the world of influence of social proof, right? Something being- What is social proof? Define that. I mean, a lay definition of it would be that um, you know, something is, is, uh, worthwhile because other people think it's worthwhile. Yeah, Filson right? bought it. It's yeah. awesome. But they don't exactly. know that a month ago, Filson wasn't wearing pants to work. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think like, so on one level, I think it can be a good indicator. Like, you know, I, I booked a hotel recently and I looked at reviews and some of the reviews were horrible and there were like a hundred of them. And like, and you stayed like, in that horrible no, hotel, no, no, right? I, no, no. I said, I said no, no to that one. Went to the one with better reviews, right? So that social proof in that way kind of works. Um, but I, so there's kind of a double edged sword here, though. Um, just because something is popular, particularly in the world of organizational development, particularly in the world of leader development, um, doesn't necessarily mean that it works. It could just be something 
that makes people feel good. And that's why they think it works. It doesn't actually get the outcomes that they want, right? Evidence-based practice is hard because there aren't silver bullets. Uh, that's that's kind of what, what we know. What if the reviewers don't know anything about what they're reviewing? Right. Like yeah, I see this in the truck. I, I bought a new truck not too, last year. It's a Silverado for those that care about that stuff. But going on the forums, like, I'm a Chevy guy. What? Well, yeah. And it doesn't matter. Like, I'm a Ford guy. Right. And it's like, wait a minute. Are, are there any engineers here that have done like quality? Like, I because it, uh, it's something that would be like a more professional conversation is in reviewing the quality assurance programs of Ford mm. versus Chevy, Chevy's 10% better. Right. And, but these guys are neck and neck. They can hire from the same engineering schools. They can have the same. I mean, modern car manufacturing is some of the best quality manufacturing that we have in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Or if you look at Kia, when they entered the market, they had some quality issues. But very quickly in a few years, they were making way better stuff. Yep. But if you went on these forums, right? Social proof. No, no, man. Chevy's, it's Chevy or you're dumb. And I was <laughs> like, oh, this is probably not the place I want to go to evaluate the quality of a vehicle. Is I remember internet forums. I remember <laughs> when I was I remember when I was five years old learning from my uncle who was a mechanic. He was just joking around with us and he said, Yeah, you know, some people have like these big Ford Chevy thing, and they would say like Chevrolet, Chevrolet, push it home and let it set. Or uh for or uh, the other people would say, you know, Ford, oh, you know, fix or repair daily, right? Or found uh, on road dead. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway but so but we get a lot of that as yeah. like and these people tout social proof to sell their stuff get the same software used by big companies such as google and facebook it's very powerful it's very influential right and and i think it's a double-edged sword it doesn't always mean that whatever's being sold is bad i would just say don't use that as your sole criterion for the quality or, or evidence-based nature of something hire mckinsey because if it fails, you can say, oh, I hired McKinsey. Don't hate on me. They're like the best, right? Rather than, wait, how did you evaluate that McKinsey was the best vendor to meet this need? Let's walk right. through that process, right? Yeah. You know, another thing I think you can do is, is again, educate yourself on evidence-based practice. So check out the Center for Evidence-Based Management. Uh, we always like to give uh give those folks a plug rob breener's <laughs> doing the righteous work kind We're, of alone honestly uh, he he is unafraid and uh sometimes alone out there but um you know we, we i think we plugged him in our last episode we'll plug him again here because we like the stuff he's doing so you know i, I think there are some evidence-based um people who are are promoting evidence-based uh practice that are are not boring and and so forth i think adam grant comes to mind in the organizational psychology space so um, brene are, brown brene perhaps, brown is actually really good i mean she's she's I mean, a I, psych I, person no she's not she's a social work person so, but, oh, okay i thought yeah. she was i mean I, oh, yeah. I, so i mean yeah she's very popular i i i think i saw her i saw one of her ted her, talks i was i, I was a little bit turned off because it it was kind of draped in a little uh, in a shroud of woo Mm -hmm. You know, it had that some of that touchy feely stuff that makes me feel yeah. a little off. But the stuff I've heard from her has been actually okay. Cool. Now, do I, mean, I, I know, know she, I know I she's don't a know researcher. enough to say yeah. that she's good to yeah. go, but she's a legit 
researcher. So not everybody's some like stale, gosh, who invited this guy to the cocktail party? Yeah. What a drag kind of person. Well, let's put it this way. If Brene Brown or Adam Grant want to be on an episode of the Indigo podcast, they have an open invitation to do so. So um, we would we would welcome to be on their podcast as well. <laughs> so <laughs> if that says anything, I don't know. Yeah, if we um, ever even get on that radar. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think another piece here is just Keeping in mind this whole idea about iterating, getting better continually, this is how our organizations get better. This is how leaders get better. This is how societies, towns, uh, this is how uh, this is how we win wars, right? This is how uh, you know we don't I, have Salem witch trials. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's how it's how we avoid not doing dumb things as as a society, and I think it's just really important. Um, you know, one of the things that we all oftentimes say is that we think that the the world is is better when uh, when people flourish at work, right? And that um, you know, one way to change the world is by having better leaders and better organizations. And uh, and this is one way to to perhaps move that ball in the right direction. Yeah. So I I love this guy David Krakauer, who you know he's the head of the Santa Fe Institute. I don't know if he's still there, but he defines stupidity. A lot of people think about stupidity as not enough gray matter, right? And he says, I study stupidity because it's arguably more common than intelligence. But his he defines stupidity as using a rule where adding more data doesn't improve your chances of getting a problem right. Mm. Now, if you have a rule that maybe, and here's the rule that I see, the way I was raised in leadership is the best way. Mm. That precludes you from seeing the advances. Mm. And I've, I've talked to people. It's like, man, nothing you can say can convince me that X, Y, Z. Well, wait, I can't use reason to reach you? By definition, you're an unreasonable person. And that's not to slam somebody to say this is an indelible trait that you have. Mm -hmm. You're stupid. But... I got to say, if you're going to bring up a rule that you have in your life that doesn't have you exploring on a continuous improvement, continuous personal growth path, pathway, because you think that you've already arrived, well, that that is stupid, guys. And every day we should wake up and try to be less stupid. Right, right. I mean, I don't like lima beans, really. But I, I'm not stupid because I know that hey, I, I'm open to the possibility that there's perhaps a way in which one could prepare uh, lima beans and perhaps conditions under which I might be so hungry that I might relish to having some lima beans. So um, I think it's it's about having that that flexibility. And, and again, going back to the idea of being a little bit humble, if not a lot humble, about what you perhaps um, know and don't know. Yeah, the thing is, guys, it's not that our current way we do leadership hasn't achieved amazing stuff. Right. We've got Amazon, modernization, the whole, like, the we build world. bridges and buildings and amazing things and oil rigs. And I just, the, 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 it's fascinating what you really, if you really think about it. But how we treat people and how, you know, maybe we could have done all that way better if we knew more mm. about leadership and teams. How we treat people doesn't necessarily... Um, translate into what has happened. So we look and we said, look at all these great things that have happened. Why would I need to update my leadership paradigm? Well, maybe we could have had all that stuff twice as fast. And I think that statement lacks a little bit of imagination. Yeah. If we're able to have amazing leadership that keeps improving, 
what could the world look like in the future? How could people's physical health been right? Bad leadership, bad teams kills people. That's right. And, and, and they depression, uh, suicides during you know, economic downturns and stuff. And we don't want to be a part, you know, for people that like that uh, Mr. Rogers trope, look for the helpers, right? That's good advice for kids, right? But as adults, our world, and I'm stealing this from this Atlantic article, our job is to make that better world that our children will inhabit. And our children will one day enter the workforce, and we need to be part of creating that better leadership paradigm today. So today on the Indigo Podcast, we've talked about how learning about leadership through unthoughtful observation doesn't work, how we might think about leadership as a product that we need to iterate upon based upon evidence-based practice, and we concluded with some implications for leaders, people, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.